After his guilty verdict, Hans M., who now had to call himself Martha M. again, couldn't stay in Graz. The newspapers had followed his case closely without protecting his identity. Although he was found guilty, he did not have to serve a sentence and could therefore move around freely as long as he informed the authorities. M. settled in Salzburg and worked there as a gas station attendant. When he had completed the probationary period, he again applied to have his name changed to Hans, but this time he did so at the public office in Salzburg. According to a letter from the Graz Police Directorate to the regional court, Hans M. had submitted another medical certificate to the authorities in Salzburg, attesting that he was a woman who was becoming increasingly masculine. He had also presented the confirmation issued in Maribor that he was allowed to wear male clothing. The latter continued to say that the police had then decided to conduct a more detailed investigation in Yugoslavia regarding M's examination there. The Yugoslav embassy gave the information that Hans M had not been a patient in the hospital in Maribor and that the name of the doctor who Hans claimed had performed the surgical sex determination was also unknown. However, the police did find new proof in the catalogue of inhabitants of Maribor. The entry for Hans M. had an additional note that confirmed that he had received an official permit to change his name and wear men's clothing. The police also questioned a Slovenian doctor who was working for the Maribor authorities at the time. The doctor did remember a case before the war in which the registered sex had to be corrected from female to male and he believed to identify Hans M. as that person. According to his statements, however, this person would not have been an hermaphrodite, but a man. Still, all these new findings seemed to confirm that Hans M. apparently had spoken the truth during his trial 13 years earlier. And that was why the police had contacted the court in the first place. With all this new evidence, Hans M., if willing to do so, could file a motion to reopen the court case. Welcome to the last episode of Out of the Dark. This is where Hans M's story ends, at least to us, because there are barely any sources that could help us reconstruct his life after his case was closed. We only know that he had his personal status changed to male in 1964 and that he had died very soon after, being only 49 years old. Hans M. shares the experience of being prosecuted under paragraph 129 in Austria's Second Republic, along with many others. Between the years 1950 and 1971, over 13.000 people in Austria were convicted under the paragraph, making Austria the country with the highest number of convictions in relation to its population in the whole of Europe. For Hans, as for others, a prosecution essentially meant a public outing, which often led to social ostracism. In 1963, his conviction was eventually overturned, after it became clear that too little investigation had been carried out by the court, and that Hans had been telling the truth all along. 
what could have been seen as a win against the authorities was only a drop in the bucket. The acquittal could not undo the consequences the guilty verdict had for Hans M's life. The trial must have meant a deep cut in his life course, ultimately leading to a forced divorce and the change of his name back to his birth name. As a convicted and publicly humiliated person, his career chances were also very slim. After Hans' conviction, paragraph 129 existed for eight more years, until 1971. But even after the paragraph's repeal, being homosexual or other forms of queer was not without limits. When Austria got rid of paragraph 129, it essentially replaced it with four new paragraphs that regulated specific scopes of same-sex contact. From 1971, consensual same-sex acts between adults were permitted. However, male same-sex contact was regulated differently than female and heterosexual contact. Female and heterosexual partners could engage in sexual activity from the age of 14, whereas male same-sex partners had to be 18 or older. This specific paragraph remained in place until 2002. Between the years of 1972, when the paragraph was introduced, and 2002, 1,000 men were convicted for engaging in same-sex activity where at least one of the partners was under 18. Another one of the four new paragraphs prohibited any sort of advertisement that would portray homosexuality in a positive light. The paragraph proved to be an obstacle for the gay liberation movement of the 70s, 80s and 90s. It effectively not only ruled depictions of same-sex contact as hard pornography, but even led to educational AIDS brochures to be confiscated in the early 1990s. The paragraph was repealed only in 1996. Scholars today interpret these laws as embodying above all a moral regime. The concept of indecency was used in regard to homosexuality to justify criminalizing it to a certain extent. Framing homosexuality as indecency doesn't really have much to do with it being relevant to criminal law, but conveys sexual norms that meant fear and exclusion for many. Behind these sexual norms is, once again, heteronormativity. Heterosexual intercourse and love are seen as the legitimate and natural form of partnerships. This idea is so institutionalized in Austria that until 2006, gender reassignment of one partner could lead to a forced divorce, just as in Hans and Alma's case. When the court contacted Hans M. about reopening his case, he was very clear about not wanting to go to court again. The whole experience was a traumatic event in his life, and he mentioned that the coverage of the trial in the media had been especially painful to him. He didn't see a point in reopening the trial after he had already completed his probationary period. Instead, Hans M. wanted to put his energy into the change of his civil status, which has still not been completed. He hoped that the new evidence would help speed up the bureaucratic process, but that was not the case. It would take nine more years until his documents would read Hans M. and Mail. 
1963, Hans hired a lawyer and had him look into the court files of the trial that had taken place 13 years before. After all this time, Hans M. now wanted to be acquitted of the wrongful sentence that had damaged him so greatly. But why did he decide to do it now? In a letter to the court, he justified it as follows. As early as 1955, I was questioned by the regional court as to whether I intended to file a motion for reopening on the basis of the new evidence in the file. The sentence of seven months of imprisonment, which was substituted by a probationary period, had already been served at the time, and I had suffered so much from the proceedings themselves, from the publications in the press, and from the special circumstances in the case that I, being ignorant of the procedural process of reopening, was afraid to reopen my case. In addition, I was also not aware of the legal implications that the judgment would have for me, especially with regard to my as yet unresolved change of personal status. People, whose nature has been created as belonging clearly to one sex according to their mental and physical disposition, may not be aware of the problem of the hermaphroditic situation. However, my own fate has made me realize that the clarification of this question is of a central importance to my further life. At the time, Hans M. was working in the car industry, and to get a promotion, the question of his personal status had to finally be settled, once and for all. Although the trial had taken place 13 years earlier, Hans couldn't get around it because it was contradictory to what he was trying to achieve. In the verdict, it said that Hans M. was a true woman and only through forgery had been able to marry another woman. To finally have his name and sex entry changed, it was crucial that he had the conviction removed from his criminal record. The evidence that was in favor of his innocence was in the majority. Nonetheless, Hans went to a specialist to have another medical report issued. Again, the doctor who examined him and wrote his report was a forensic physician, but he came to a different conclusion than his colleagues before him. His final report said, The biological evidence undoubtedly corresponds better to the female sex than to the male sex, but it is still uncertain whether Hans M. is actually female. No gonads, neither ovaries nor testicles are found in her abdomen. Since the true sex of a human being can only be determined accurately based on the type of gonads, it would therefore be quite possible that this is a case of so-called pseudohermaphroditism, i.e. that this person has male gonads while the external and internal characteristics are female. If this assumption, which cannot be refuted on the basis of the findings, is correct, then Hans M., as a pseudohermaphrodite, belongs to the male sex. But even under the not proven presumption that his gonads are also female, i.e. that there are possibly strongly underdeveloped ovaries, it is justified to consider Hans M. as belonging to the male sex, because the personality of a human being is not determined by his physical forms, but by his mental and emotional being. This medical report and the other evidence meant that Hans M. didn't have to go to court again. Instead, the sentence was revoked without another hearing, since the evidence was so clearly on Hans' side. Thirteen years earlier, during the trial, the majority of proceedings and the reporting dealt with the question of the true sexual nature of Hans M. If one wanted to believe the Austrian newspapers, it soon became very clear that Hans was in fact a woman, a swindler and a fraud at that. Still, a second main hearing had to be scheduled, probably thanks to the doubts that the forensic physician Kutscherer had raised. 
In this second main hearing, a verdict was reached, despite the fact that the evidence had not changed. But the forensic physician Lorenzoni had now, in his role as expert witness, established that Hans M. was undoubtedly female. This shows that certain medical opinions were valued more when they were better compatible with legislation. In this case, paragraph 129 relies on the assumption that there are only two sexes and that heterosexuality is the normal and natural state. The court files also reveal the story of a person whose life was marked by not being able to conform. The sentence Hans M. received may seem mild in view of the threatened penalty of one to five years. However, as we know, it did have a negative impact on his life for much longer than that. The long-term damage that was done to him and to his social standing is representative of the prosecution of queer people in the Second Republic. Even though this period saw very high numbers of convictions, only few had to go to prison. Instead, the accused would be paraded as perverts in show trials, which would damage them for life and would quench others by feeding fears of social exclusion. I remember leaving the archive, my fingers feeling dirty from hours of flipping through these old paper sheets. I was amazed by how much I had learned only by looking at 200 pages of court files. And I had collected some clues on where I might learn more about Hans. These clues consisted of former home addresses and the name of a distant relative-in-law. After sending out 10 letters without response and a very awkward phone call with a man who assured me that their side of the family didn't have much to do with Hans' family, I realized that 60 years is still a long time and not much of Hans seems to be left. For 60 years, no one seems to have cared about these files that have been gathering dust in the archive. But that is changing now. It is only since very recently that trans rights have been receiving more attention. In 2019, the Constitutional Court declared that intersex people had the right to a third sex entry, and only a couple of weeks ago, the Administrative Court of Vienna ruled that also for all others an alternative sex entry will be made legal. Queer people and their struggles are receiving more attention today, and the same is true for queer historical subjects. There is a queer history, there always has been one, and it is our job as historians to tell it. We hope the story of Hans M. helped you understand the power of societal norms and what role laws and medicine have played, and in a lot of cases still do, in declaring something to be the norm. The case of Hans M. is only one of many individual fates that need to be told and heard, so we can understand the bigger picture and assess it. Until then, we will continue to dig up all the files and traces we can find in archives to finally get them out of the dark. Mm -hmm.